But yeah. then my question is this: much like like tigers, it's got this ping grip. Is this what the standard Scotty grip was up to a certain point? The tiger fanboy. So I put that ping grip on after because that's the grip that he rolls with his putter. Yeah. I got that one in 2007 when I was playing golf in Monterey, and that was my second Scotty. So it's it's actually fairly new, but it's almost like Tiger's. Tiger's the Newport 2, but that's the Newport 1.5, and it's got that kind of direct, the shaft enters the club face more directly than that kind of plumber neck. That's a pretty club. Mm -hmm. But I did shorten it for my wife, <laughs> kind of regrettably. I got her like a nice set of clubs uh, two years ago. Did but she use them? Well, she's been pregnant. She, you know, we just had a so. Congratulations, uh, yeah. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she hasn't been golfing much, and I've been using it at home and kind of being like, man, I wouldn't mind putting a, a longer shaft in this and maybe giving one of my other putters uh, to her. So TBD on that. I'm Billy McGee, and you're listening to 18 Opportunities. For every round on the links is 18 little games, 18 fresh starts. 18 opportunities to shake off the failures of the past and bear well the good fortune of the present. You should do the three questions with Blake. So Blake, welcome to the show. Cool. It's great to be here, Drew. <laughs> We're super psyched to have you. Blake is a buddy of ours here in Portland. We play a lot of golf with. Blake, you want to tell people who you are? Yeah, I guess uh, kind of the descriptors would be uh, golfer, father, <laughs> husband maybe not quite in that order but um <laughs> that that kind of sums it up um or like my my twitter bio but yeah addict of the game introduced by my grandfather early on who kind of started off golf you know in our family he was members at wilshire country club in bel-air in la learned from my dad played in high school competitively Bel Air and wilshire yeah, i was like about to say malcolm gladwell probably runs by your your grandfather's old club yeah no it's right there i mean it, it is prime real estate but um yeah i have a lot of good memories that was the first course i ever went around um my grandpa had a cool history he was a he was a tv producer and that kind of led him in i think to that echelon of golf i'm not really sure how he got the bug but definitely inspired my dad his best friend growing up is Peter Kessler, who's actually was kind of like the voice of golf, if you will, kind of started the golf channel. He was the interviewer. He did Golf Talk Live. Is um, he still around? A little bit. He has like a YouTube up. He has some interesting takes. He was like an interesting character, right? I think I saw something almost like a biography documentary about him. Yeah. Where he helped start the golf channel, but he's not affiliated with it anymore. He was like the founder exactly yeah he yeah. he worked i think arnold you know was a big backer of it right um and he did that great show golf talk live I actually watched he's starting to re-release some some videos i think he has a little beef with the golf channel because he did have kind of an awkward leave golf channels owned by nbc right yeah i think probably not i mean yeah, they have so, that affiliation well, at least there's a partnership mm -hmm. um so the other question is blake why do you love golf Man, so so many reasons. Played through high school, played competitively in junior college, but now I've kind of found like a different facet of the game as well. Trying to go deeper, not just on like the competitive level, you know, whether it's it's playing historic courses or getting into golf architecture, or just or even, playing like <clears throat> those old sticks. Yeah, like, now playing some old persimmons and getting those on eBay. Um, <laughs> so wild. What was the second question again? Why do you it's love? Why golf? do you love golf? Mm -hmm. I think that Billy and I share this 
like this the addictive nature of the sport and the the art of self-improvement is something that we both cling to like the art of practice right and i think it's like kind of like a meditative space for us and everybody has their own thing when you have the bug Mm -hmm. you got your own thing and I, i suspect your thing is just different than ours i think it takes me away from everything else in life um like when i'm on the golf course right uh, i'm not necessarily in the most peaceful mind especially if i'm i'm in a competitive round i just went double double to start but that's all i'm thinking about you know and and i feel super blessed that the rest of life takes a little break and i get to get out there and and focus there you know and if it's just around by yourself you know it's meditative it's around with family you know it's a way to bond or with buddies you know there's the camaraderie or the competitive nature that's a total bug of you know this hyper competition that you know is is so far away from meditation but you are also in the flow of of um you know trying to accomplish something and and the pressure of that yeah Mm. that's awesome so yeah what do we we want to talk about today so uh, blake you're probably one of our our only dedicated listeners beginning to end. You've been a beta listener. You now listen to just about every episode. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed we're it quite a bit. Glad to have you here because we're going to be talking about an area you're really passionate about, which is the clubs themselves. Mm-hmm. And this episode is golf is a game of tools. So as we've gone through this progression, talking about golf is a target game, golf is a game made by the land, mm-hmm. golf is a competition, Then we did a two-part episode on golf is a ball game. And in that, you know, Drew and I went deep into history and talked about the wooden ball, the feathery, and then we focused a lot on the gutty and the wound ball. And we're going to kind of return to that time period again because we're going to use John Lowe to talk about clubs as well. But in this episode, we're going to talk about golf as, as tools. So not just clubs, but really they're tools Mm -hmm. that we fashion and i did a little bit of quick research on human evolution and so the earliest tools that were discovered 2.6 million years ago because haven't they tried to say that's one of like the defining features of being human or maybe they found some other animal that uses tools too but isn't that one of the yeah 2.6 million years extends beyond like pre-humans yeah exactly so that's pre-human it definitely wasn't it wasn't uh, human and animals yeah, some yeah. animals use tools like chimpanzees are probably using it the most they're using like sticks to totally. you know get out Break ants or... and <laughs> smash clams yeah. and crows are known to yeah. be able to use birds, tools birds and and like monkeys one of my fraternity brothers is a professor at florida state and so i'm going to bring him on and he's into bows so he's become really into bow shooting. Oh, he's a longbow guy. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and the and and like the Asian war bows. He's also got a, a tool called an atlatl. This was the original sort of instead of just throwing a spear, it's a spear with a lever, mm-hmm. and so you hold it like this, and then it gives a lever action. If you think about why we can hit the ball so far, is because the club is our lever. If you aren't using the club properly getting lag, using your body rotation, you just won't hit the ball very far. Mm. Like if you're just sort of like, just swing the club, you know, like a lazy chip shot, it really won't go far. It goes far because of the physics of velocity. Go ahead. Even if you don't hold it properly so that you can leverage it as an... What did you say? As a lever. As a lever. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. <laughs> leverage it. <laughs> yeah. Leverage it as a lever. That's yeah. the key part. And golf clubs... 
were traditionally wood, like you brought in some real persimmons right there. Those persimmons would be looked at by someone in, you know, the 1860s or even further back as recognizably a golf club. Mm-hmm. Can you I know? see one of those things, by the way? Yeah. That particular persimmon is power pretty highly bill. coveted. So it's a power built. What is that, a driver? Or Citation three wood. That's a three wood. I have the, the driver, three wood, and, and five wood. This is in good shape. Yeah, no, it's pure. Kept it crystal clean at Wilshire. So, ba- <laughs> by, by the way, back in the day, perimeter you know what you used to have to do? You'd wax your drivers. Yeah. I remember having wax for my driver. That was a thing. You would put wax on your driver and buff them up so mm. that they're shiny. Yeah, there's definitely the aspect of, of kind of like the upkeep and the tinkering. You see this? <laughs> so like, this is string. This is fun. String. And, and, I, was, and, I was wondering. And that would be wound. That. That's how you would connect it. And a lot of times you would see, like if you were kind of raggedy, this would start to unwind and, and you would see... You know, that like people would like duct tape it together. Yeah. Sure. So, so the string you're you're talking about how the the head is connected to the not shot. Just glue. It's like a hot right. It's not just the hot glue. This this grip is awesome. Yeah, isn't that grip? It's awesome? so wild. You can't is get that a grip. Old? Like this. Is that original? Yeah, this is a, I just kept everything. I have a pretty awesome like, bag that my grandpa it. Did you feel has. That? Yeah. It's that's, gotta be forty years old and it you feels You know what it feels like? A bicycle grip. Yeah. The way that, that when you had like an old Yeah, but better. And oversized. It does too. feel like that. It's like and oversized. early on the oversized. Yeah, that's it's an like oversized significantly grip. tapered. It's mm. like a baseball grip. Right. Yeah, no, I just got some ping I twos, um, which was another kind of coveted one on eBay, which I've kinda that's been a new thing for so me. So the ping I two driver is black, the black one with yeah, the red face. With the red face. I mm-hmm. I remember so I remember that driver was played in the 80s and that was the cadillac of the persimmons that was that was almost like the new evolution of the persimmons it was probably the last coveted persimmon Mm -hmm. so are you out and playing with these right now well i've I've just kind of got the bug with them inspired by i played glendevere west course i don't know if you've been over there but it's probably 5700 yards and you know going out there driver chipping driver on the green, even three wood on the green from the par fours. It takes some of the joy out. You're kind of faking yourself when you're making birdie, birdie, birdie. It's like... It's an executive course. The longest par four is like 320. Yeah. So you're saying playing these persimmons... Yeah, it makes it a lot more fun. It makes it legit. Yeah, and you get to hit different shots. The thing that probably the toughest thing with them is, and I think this kind of goes for the hickory clubs as well, That when I've done some research, is the concept of hitting the sweet spot is just so much more important with the old clubs like the difference between a shot hit off the toe or heel you know distance wise and what you lose on it and the ball flight is so much different than the modern club i think it's kind of a shame because that's such a skill you know i think that's been lost you kind of just clank it around with the modern club which just forces you to hit it right and it does it is a little embarrassing when you you hit it wrong you've got Um, a little bit of action on the on the toe side of this guy here. Yeah, I'll, clean, that's I'll, your miss? I'll say that's my grandpa. <laughs> I haven't hit it that many times. Yeah, but, usually, and this hmm. part is ceramic, usually, the, the front of the driver face. Oh, that's not a metal plate? Well, there's metal, too, but it's also, this black part, I think, is ceramic. Mm-hmm. Or Sweet. they Or they would make it out of a resin. And by the way, you've heard this, too, right, where it's like, I hit it, hit the ball right on the screws. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's literally screws. Because there was literally mm-hmm. screws like yeah. in the front of the driver but yeah. to hold down the yeah. faceplate. Yeah. Go, going out with those has been so fun because when I played in the Eastmoreland uh, game the other day, I was like, ah, if we're betting, you know, I'm taking out my new sticks. I just I don't want to bet with my old clubs. But I think it changes the game a little bit from like the pressure of 
wanting to play well or not hit a bad shot kind of changes to like the fun of just playing like you're out there to play which i think is is kind of lost like you're out there to hit shots if you hit a bad one it's kind of expect it's like built into the game already because it's a harder club not when your grandfather was playing those sure that was yeah maybe gamer. he had the same expectations that was, that that was we have now yeah <laughs> that was like his you know new you know sim mm -hmm. you know where he's like oh i'm i've got an advantage on the field with my power book, yeah he just spent 499 on the new you know yeah, R7 so by the way on that point or whatever i do remember the cost of those pings if i recall a new setup of ping i2 persimmons in around 86 87 would have been like 699 for three clubs what yeah for three clubs like 699 699 <laughs> for three clubs which now might not seem that much but at that point no that's consistent with inflation of like what a club costs now <laughs> Yeah, I guess yeah, three clubs. But you would get three. You would get you would get a set with that. And, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. But at the same time, though, like that was like big money. That was not a small amount of money. Like mm -hmm. I think a full set, you know, might have been the same amount. Mm -hmm. Like you get a full set of clubs or you get three woods, oh, so which thing, I guess does line up with. Yeah. I guess it is pretty comparable. So let me ask you this, Blake. So if you're playing with these for an extended period of time and then you switch over to your modern clubs... Do you find to have that you have more in, more of an advantage using modern clubs over these? Like, are you finding that sweet spot a lot easier now that you've got like some some familiarity with hitting a persimmon? Yeah, I think it makes it when you look at the modern driver, you're like, all right, I'm just gonna absolutely rip this. I mean, it, it looks so small. It's like you're playing with the smaller cup almost, and then you play with the normal size cup, and you're like, wow, this is easier. That, that's you know? awesome. But. I think you just get in a different mode with them and it becomes a little bit less about the, I mean, you still want to score as best you can and the pure joy of hitting the golf shot, you take away the elements of the result a little bit, which is, which is fun. Talking to Billy about that yesterday when we were on the course, I was saying I used to be a member at this indoor simulator place, right? And you would stop focusing on the result of the shot and you would focus more on the contact itself mm -hmm. because everything was being read at impact right Care yeah that was the, the feedback mm -hmm. yeah, exactly and, and i actually found that to really improve my game in a short period of time because i was all i was focusing on as i was practicing in the sim was the contact that i was making mm -hmm. with the ball and it dramatically improved my game it sounds like very similar results with this when you're playing with the persimmon because you're really hyper focused on the contact well that you're it making. also hurts yeah exactly i mean the, the pure butter feel of hitting a blade yeah with a very small sweet spot or like or or you know a three wood a power boat citation three wood pure feels awesome mm -hmm. don't you play blades anyways yeah but they're, they're a little bit more modern the strix on blades i mean it's definitely yeah. i played the titleist 695 uh mbs for a while which i think are pretty much look like an old school blade but i'm sure compared to like a 75 mcgregor it's still it's still much easier to hit sure but I, I think, like, back to your point on the contact is, like, especially the miss hit does feel, you know, your handshake a little bit. It doesn't feel good. But it's, like, that moment of contact, like, it reverberates, like, in your body almost, that sound, you know. And that's, like, <laughs> such a great part of golf besides just, like, man, I hit it far, you know. But literally, like, you're so in the flow. Like, you feel like a one with the golf shot kind of, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. 
not that like a modern club doesn't give you any feedback, but you really get it with that because you know, <laughs> there's no guessing. Like when it feels that good, you know, you hit it on the, on the screws. Whereas when you miss it, you know, you missed it. So do you think that like people that made their living playing with clubs like this, look at the, look at the modern technology and go, these guys are cheating. A little bit. I think, you know, I think it cheapens the game. It's taken a little bit of the, the art and the craft out of it. Um, you know, and it's a little bit more, I think speed and power are kind of over, overemphasized and it's, it's made it harder to tell who the great golfer is because yeah, the I, field I think, gets a lot bigger, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the shot making aspect is, is less rewarded. Whereas like everyone can now drive it for, it's just kind of like a, a driving and, and putting game and kind of some of the more, you know, I'm going to play a little low fade 165 yards with my six iron mm. you know that shot doesn't There's exist not that many. you know it's like i'm hitting my six iron uh 210 that's how far i hit it it's not like this concept of shot making as, as much totally. as it used to be there's not that many four irons from 200 yards out that are happening. well there are still the same shot making requirements it's just that we don't get to see as much of the uniqueness of how they're able to bend the ball. Like Tiger shows, it's why he's still number one. He, you know, when you he watch- He can play that game. He still. can still play mm-hmm. that game of- well, He says that he, it's it's become increasingly more difficult because of the equipment to to perform shots that right, he be, used to do. Because right? they're all com- dialed now to to reduce the amount of yeah. spin. Mm-hmm. and I mean, and, Bubba's still fun to watch because he still kind of plays those, those shots. You know, he's right. like, what was that swing? You <laughs> yeah. know, and, and, and you know, it's- cutting 40 yards or drawing back you know the same same distance yeah let's take a pivot back i think that that sounds good there's all kinds of different situations and they call for all different types of shots we've got the driver for your power shots irons for that long distance accuracy sand wedges for specialty shots and lob wedges you know for chips around the green and of course there is the one club that is more unique than any other club out there, which is uh, the putter. And I'm going to read really quickly from John Lowe, where he talks about the putter and how it's different from the other clubs. And I think this is kind of a fun, fun way to, to kick this off. It has been suggested that the first workman tried his apprentice hand on man and after meeting with a measure of success proceeded to the more delicate task of creating woman about the putter there is something so slender and sensitive so fitful capricious and fickle shall i venture to say even at times inconsistent that no doubt can be felt as to the sex question (laughs) Plainly, such a companion will not readily be chanced on among the common herd or met with on a crowded street. She must be sought for with care and skill. No club is so human as the putter, none so worthy the name of friend, if true, none more likely to do one an injury, if disloyal and treacherous." Like many of her sex, the putter has a touch of vanity in her nature, which must be humored if she is to be won as a faithful mistress. Never must she be placed in the bag beside the horrid face of the 
pugilistic looking niblick or the pug headed mashy, but rather in the company with the elegant family of spoons who will say sweet things to her during the night season <laughs> and never fail to pass a word of compliment after a more than usual long steal. <laughs> of her personal appearance, she is moreover vain, far beyond the vanity of other clubs. Nothing will please her better than a new coat of varnish of the very finest quality. Oh my God. I want, I want whatever that <laughs> guy was some on. Some good comparisons. <laughs> some good metaphors in there. Who you wrote know, that? John Lowe. John Lowe. <laughs> 1903. He's, before you know. Before his time. Mm-hmm. Before, yeah, he was writing about, you know, the the putter. I mean, how many of us, you know, talk to the putter? You know, Bobby Jones named his putter Calamity Jane. Calamity Jane. Oh, that's great, man. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it's true, right? A lot of that stuff is true. The last three times I've played with you, you've had three different putters. <laughs> You're no different, Blake. You show up with a different putter almost every week. <laughs> I'm a faith True. I'm a faithful man mm. with my putter. I I I have uh one putter oh, that I Bessie that old, I play with. Bessie old girl. Each change kind of sparks a new confidence, you know. So um Yeah, yeah. totally. Hundred mm. percent. Yeah, I find when I when I get wayward with one, if I dick if I make a switch in my next round, like I've just like I don't like, uh, like I've gone through like a lobotomy or something and it's like, I'm doing something totally different, but it's really the same stroke. Mm. I just have something unfamiliar in my hands and it makes me focus on different things. Totally. Like a new feel can, can open up a new, uh, brain pathway or something like yeah, that. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. Right. Mm. Well, we decided to start with the Potter because Drew, you had something of a hot take after curious. the LA Riviera open. I've got an unpopular opinion about about Mr. Adam Scott. I am convinced that Adam Scott is cheating at golf. <laughs> I am 100% convinced Adam Scott is cheating. He's spreading the Patrick Reed love around. Is, With that, the putter. is that what's going With on? The putter, I, uh, I think grip I'm quite certain. Well, okay, maybe maybe by USGA standards or RNA standards, a long putter is not considered in itself cheating. But I think... I think that I think that we're gonna look back in fifty years, and these guys are gonna be on the wrong side of history of this long putter thing. I'd say my biggest pushback to that is he's still a pretty awful putter. Like he putted well then, but I swear maybe it's just because they show him a lot. But I've never seen any golfer on TV like miss more three to five foot putts. Dude, he so in twenty sixteen was when they outlawed the anchoring, right? And he made the immediate switch to a traditional traditional putter mm. length and it was like a scotty's like a, a titleist guy right and he decided last year in like midway through the season to come back to the long to the long putter and claims to not be anchoring his putter anymore although there is no discernible difference between what he was doing before and what he's doing now although now he's saying oh i'm not anchoring but here's the thing when he made that switch in 2016, up until mid midway through last season, he was statistically one of the worst putters on tour. And since making that change, he's one of the best putters on tour. I'm convinced that there's there's some kind of some kind of advantage to be had by doing this anchoring thing. They figured it out. They tried to outlaw it. And what are they going to do? I mean, the guy's saying, "I'm not anchoring," well, and you can't prove really that he is or isn't. Well, Bernard Langer talked about that specifically where he said it sometimes looks as though I'm anchoring because when I bend over my shirt is coming off mm. and it and like it's touching my shirt but it's not touching my chest 
And I'm not going to even come close to speculating. Like you're literally saying that he's his his hand is against his chest, and therefore it is against USGA rules as now exists because it's supposed to be the. So I looked it up. It's Rule 14B-1, and the idea of a free flowing stroke. So that's the word they're using. So in this other is words, anything but a free throw. Can you free 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 throwing what, what, what free flowing free flowing stroke like, like the like the club must be free flowing dude he's got a pendulum attached to his sternum well that's can he what he anchor has. with his with his hand but he does move his but if he's not hand, doing right? it he's, he's not look look he's Drew, super it. clear if he's not touching his chest he's not breaking the rule that is like super clear and we haven't gone to golf as a game of rules but we are going to go to golf as a game of rules mm. and the Highest principle of golf as a game of rules is that this is a self-governed, self-refereed game. So if you want to have a conversation with him, look him in the eye and ask him whether or not he's anchoring. And that's really where Patrick Reed is crossing the line in terms of, hey, if I don't get caught, it's not cheating. I don't think Adam Scott is in any way in that world. It's just that the USGA changed the rules underneath the ground, right? The, they they change the rules, and that's actually where we're going to focus on today, mm. because putting, and in particular, more than any other club or any any other club in the bag, has except for maybe sand wedges, which we're going to get to. I'm actually going to be talking uh, to a guest, Connor, from the Society of Golf Historians, and he's going to come in and talk about the history of the sand wedge and rut irons. It's going to be awesome, and I'm super looking forward to it. The putter is just cockamamie craziness, right? I mean, since the beginning of time, whatever you want to use within the rules of golf, which at one point were anything you want, Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. one point it was anything you want, but we're going to go over that because the rules have changed over time because this particular rule has had many evolutions over time. Mm -hmm. So I'll say this about Adam. Okay, I I've I've spoken to a friend who apparently had a conversation with Adam Scott about this when he was at. By the way, you realize that is the definition of hearsay. (laughs) Total definition. of hearsay. I went to law school. What you are absolutely (laughs) saying to the world right now is hearsay. So no one can take what Drew says. Court of law, though. Yeah, no one can take what (laughs) Drew says as you know in terms and bring it back to to make a decision. It's a good thing. That we're under oath here in the in the eighteen opportunities podcast today, but I want to just I just want to raise something for you, right? Like, just just follow along with me here. If you pin your elbow to your side and flex it as hard as you can, you have created a uh, you've created a like get, pin it there. I mean, like, mm-hmm. and and hold it up and right in front of your chest. And tell you that you can't. Tell me that you can't hold this club in your hand and create a pendulum effect. Was he moving his You're, top arm at all, or is his hand No, still? he's moving his shoulders. He mm. moves like this. He moves like this. I, I know you can't see me. I'm in a podcast. So I guess that would be one of the he critiques. Turns, like he, there's still movement within the top of the shaft. Like it's not still. He's turning around his spine as opposed to freely swinging his arms. His arms aren't freely swinging. That's the, that's the nature, I think, of the rule is that you're supposed to have a freely swinging club. And I think eventually, this is just totally, totally me just like guessing where the where the rules are going to go on this kind of thing. But I think that eventually we'll see restrictions on the length of the putter entirely. Well, that's a good idea. 
that's a possibility. Let's go into the history and, and, it's a and look at everything it's from not a, a bigger- It's a it's a broom. I mean, it's ugly. It's aesthetically gross to look at. You totally. Know, it's like, well, at the very least. So by the way, now that you said that, Blake, that's a really good segue. There's a very prominent article that was published, I think it's in Golf Digest in the 60s. The topic of the article was when the Sam Snead croquet style putter was banned. And the title of the article is A Blow for Aesthetics. So, so Drew, how because much of do the you, way he's using how much it. you know about Sam Snead and his style of putting? So he did something that was, I think, I think that what he did was something that was sort of like a swinging it like a pendulum between his legs, right? And okay. you know, because Bryson tried to adopt this type type of method, didn't he? And so this putting, they were definitely bent over a little bit more. They weren't necessarily using putters that were like as long as we're used to now. Yeah. But they He's doing were, a Happy Gilmore right there. Yeah, that's basically, it looks like Happy So basically you're saying like Happy Gilmore, the way he was putting was potentially illegal. Possibly, no, but here's the thing. That club is freely swinging in their hands. It's not anchored to anything. Correct. But this type of putting is illegal. And the reason is that there was, it was actually connected here to Oregon. There was a guy by the name of Bob Duden, known as the dude. <laughs> the dude. <laughs> and Bob Duden was journeyman pro. He won the Oregon Open a bunch of years. In fact, I'm pretty sure Bob Duden is one of these one of these dudes here. What is this magazine? So this was the Jesus. Oregon State. This is the <laughs> Oregon State Open, 1956. It was the year it was played in East Moreland. That's 19, why I have it. 1956. So I'm pretty wow. sure he's he he won it in he won it this year. So Bob Duden ended up winning this tournament that Sweet. particular year. And I'm pretty sure those five guys are like some of the top pros or pro am. So this would have been it would have been like the iceberg open. This is at Eastmo? Yeah. Well How it was, long does that first hole play? It's this is three hundred and twenty nine yards on this. That's the first hole of Eastmoreland. Is that is it still the same length? It's about best, best first hole in and almost all yeah, golf for all of Portland. Yeah, I mean it's it's. I hate that hole. I hate yeah, that's that why it's one of the best. I always put it over the trees on the right. I mean it, the green gets a little dicey in the summer. That would be, I mean it's maybe five degrees too sloped back or front to back, but right. It, it, and just so everyone knows, it's not. I've actually started using driver when my driver's working. Driver can be a great play, but generally you do not want to hit driver. It just is a vice. It I mean, is like a you can't v. get it there. That, it's like a that. reverse V, and you've got giant trees guarding both the left and the right i reckon like tour players would would pull drive and it's a chandler egan design and so chandler egan was famous oh, for right, saying okay. the first hole is always designed to seem like an easy start but then that first green is tilted so hard left to right it's crazy at one point there was a playoff for the u.s public links there back in the 80s and there was a three-way tie one of the guys hit it um, OB had to re tee, was sure he was done. The other two competitors both four putted, <laughs> and he ended up going on. Do you make? He, like, he, no, he made like ball? a bogey. He made a bogey. Yeah, so he he made, made a bogey and one with a five because mm -hmm. the other guys like got on in two and four putted for doubles. Yeah, that first shot is just so. I mean, you, there's so much strategy on it. If you can't hit the green, then I don't think there's any point because then you're left with a 25. I mean, yeah, you, and you if, could yeah, take if a, you're not on the right side, you're done. You could hit seven iron off of that tee and have like 148. I mean, that's what I usually hit in the summer. I usually hit a six. Yeah, I, but I always, I'm always like, why am I not just ripping one at the at the 
uh, when it's hot out yeah i think i think that's a pl- but right now like it never works from out. the up tees like if you can't get there then you know there's no reward really no, yeah that's the thing if you're not if you're not all the way to the green it's a it's a dicey little short chip so back to the putters it's just an org a cool organ connection so this guy it's called the dude and he's known as and and that picture that i showed you this is the putter that he made it's got this bend Guys, it's bent I, at a 45 degree. Yeah, angle. it looks like a snow shovel in terms of the way the actual <laughs> so it's the center. actual shaft looks like a snow shovel, except if you're pushing a snow shovel straight. Yeah, kind of hideous. Yeah, so, it looks it looks like so, a shuffleboard thing. So it's like you're was, playing shuffleboard. Yeah, it's a different so, game almost at that point. So that was outlawed. That was outlawed. Guess who stepped in to outlaw that? I don't know, Ben Hogan. Good guess. Guess number two. Byron Nelson. Another good guess. But you would have to go to even higher golf royalty. Higher. Nicholas? No, he was young at the he time. Yeah. Matt Nicholas was still. He Arnie? Was, no, Arnie was. Bobby Jones then. Bobby Jones. Bobby Come Jones. On. Bobby Jones was the one that wrote to the USGA and said, basically, this is ugly. This is ugly. I don't really want it in my master's tournament. We're going on to television, <laughs> and I don't need people looking like Seriously, bananas what? on the green. You know, So we're going to – so he petitioned the USGA to ban it. That's wow. awesome. I just – I was watching a YouTube video of his stroke earlier today, and it's like – it's a, just a, such a beautiful stroke. His putting his, stroke? His backswing's so long. Like you've never seen a backswing with a putter. I mean, the green speed, which we'll talk about, but – yeah, yeah. His putting stroke is just really. It's so Does he graceful. like decel like crazy if he's got a long backstroke? Well, I think that's actually like I was. I had a little note down that I think the decel is kind of a false uh, no no. Like I, I think that's kind of. Are a, you kidding? A misinterpretation. Our buddy it. Ben would probably appreciate that. Like he you decels. can actually decel. Like it's not like the ball knows you're deceling. You know, I, I think the point that's... is with the acceleration is you have a little bit more. You're. It seems like that's a proxy for like being committed or. You know, often with the D cells, it's really that you're saying, like, are you just being timid or, you, you know, you all of a sudden lost your athleticism. But I think if your D cells kind of incorporated with like your pure stroke, then who, who cares? You know, they did this study like a year ago where they looked at all of the PGA tours uh, players and their putting stroke and they measured the the speed of the backstroke and then the through stroke of each player. And the general ratio across the entire PGA was that the backstroke was half as quick as the through stroke, but for one player. You know who that player was? It was Jordan Spieth. And on every single putt, his, ex- his, his through stroke is the exact same speed as his backstroke. And oh, it's just like an unconscious thing. Did they do the test in, like, when, in his heyday? <laughs> yeah, it was like it was like a year or two ago. Okay, I mean, I don't know if that was twenty seventeen was a good year. He's for him. still a good putter, though. No, he's it's, still his, a great put, his putting, his putting joking. is not actually diminished. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that the principle of what's taught? Is that you should be relatively equidistant, or maybe a little bit shorter on the backstroke? I mean, how many people teach you anything about putting? On short putts, I definitely try to minimize my backstroke. That now. That's what I've been working on a lot. Minimizing your backstroke on short, like putts. just taking it back like four inches. Mm-hmm. Watch some Bobby Jones putts. It's like the opposite. I don't know if I would teach to decel, but I I think I'd be a little hesitant to judge uh, too much. So Bobby Jones outlaws this putter. Bobby Jones went to the USGA, wrote to the USGA, and suggested that this 
putter should be outlawed based solely on aesthetics aesthetics and i don't want this in my tournament basically there was a little bit of principle on it so there was the rules of golf had made another type of putter illegal in the past in fact it was the first time i think the rna had ever banned a tool as it were what was that one well, I want you to, I'm going to play the game again. So let's, so the year is <laughs> So we've got two already. We've got the Sam Sneed one that's like between the legs. Right. It, or like this the is in the 1870s. So this is closer to the origin of golf. Okay. And this would have been in and around, you know, the old Leith golfers or St. Andrews golfers. This would have been when gentlemen golfers are going out and they're making wagers mm-hmm. and someone decides... They're going to use a different kind of tool. I got it. What? I got it. I got it. Like a pool stick. Exactly. <laughs> yes. The original band <laughs> putter was a pool stick. Some dude was like, I'm really good at billiards. So he, he went back into the club and he put his pool stick in the bag. And then when he gets on the green, he gets down on his knees or whatever and starts like hitting the golf ball in like a pool cue. That's awesome. And that got banned. So, so, so that's how good he was. I wonder, if he, I wonder if it was like 20 putts he had in a round. Who knows? I mean, that's part of it, right? It's like all of a sudden, why does it get banned? It gets banned because somebody's like annoyed that the guy's getting like getting smoked think about that think about like if you're on the ground in a pronated like stance like you're hunting or something and you got a perfectly like engineered putter we'll call air quotes that's designed to be shot like a billiards club and you practiced it for one whole day i bet you you'd get pretty damn good at using it yeah, except well, the guy for was breaking pra- putts. Seems like that would be hard. But you would have, from the pronated stance, you'd have a better read of the green. Mm-hmm. The experience of playing billiards would have probably influenced people to improve the greens. So that's a, a real key element of the evolution of the putter that I also want to jump into, is that putting, the way we know it today, is really a function of the quality of the greens that we're able to play. Putting, in in a sense, has changed. If you watch Ben Hogan or early Jack Nicholas, a lot of those golfers were like pop strokes. Like I think Snedeker is really the only guy, the throwback modern guy that's doing a pop stroke type putt, which historically was what you had to do to get the ball to the hole because the greens were, you know, it'd be interesting to know, like what were the masters running at 80 years ago? Pulled up like the scent meter... Oh, cool. Thing in the U.S. Open and, like, recommendations that they had and, like, how it's changed. Like, back in the day, I think the recommended was really fast was 10.5 for pros. And the U.S. Opens, it's gone all the way up to 14. I think it was only 11.5 for Pebble Beach. But you can only put pins in certain places. What is more skill? Like, just kind of barely hitting a putt or having to put a little bit more speed on it might actually, you know, indicate that you're displaying a higher skill. So the the other part of that equation that you don't mention is, man, back in the day, they didn't have the tools that we have to make. Well, exactly. Yeah, it wasn't a choice. Yeah, it wasn't really a choice. 10.5 might have been really fast, but you would never see a major that was rolling at 10.5 today. And I think it's probably due in part to the fact that we have precision tools mm. to shave greens down. So. Well, um, even the 10.5 was like 70s. Like, I, you know, nuts. if you look early 20th century, you're probably this, like you weren't really expected to make a, a long putt. Like 
chipping you'd chip it really close and the putt would just be kind of the last little knock you guys ever played at a at a course that you go out to the putting green in the morning and they have a stint meter sign like at the course what's the fastest stint meter so i played at um, bali national in bali indonesia and they have at that at that course the superintendent every morning does a stint meter test on the practice green and the highest to my to my knowledge that I've ever played on was like a 12 and that was 12 one day when I was playing at that course and I couldn't keep balls on the green it was insanely fast yeah I can't no, it's like a different game at that way. point on the local side I think Royal Oaks has some of the fastest greens here if you go to Vancouver <laughs> Washington just over the Royal Oaks um, that's an old course too country club is yeah. just unreal the speed I mean I, I kind of think of it as like the Augusta of the area by the way the dude he the would the dude always played in that Royal Oaks Invitational. I was yeah, gonna that's bring what that I up. Played in. That's what yeah, I yeah it I, three we, times. we need to try to get in that event <laughs> yeah, this so, year. We so, need to submit. Like Blake said, we have to like well, we put, it, put in our resume. Hey, we've got the, pod. got the pod now. So we've got we've got some legitimate reasons. Our 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 gin may not be low enough are we good enough to play in that event or they they're i forget what it is it's it's a little i dropped out the last couple years because it was kind of it's kind of an interesting like split between college players that you know i'm not going to compete with and then um, is there a mid-am there's there's like a a mid uh, i think there's like a young senior and then a super senior the fastest greens i've seen uh were oregon Oregon Golf Club. Oregon Golf in Club. Westland area. When they did it for the Oregon Am. Mm-hmm. I mean, those greens were lightning. Yeah. I think I think those were legit twelves or thirteens. I mean, I don't I don't know the difference. Like once you get that high, it's hard to tell. Yeah, exactly. But I remember watching I caddied for Vinny in that event and he putted on he played, he went off on ten. And then the first putt that he made, I was like, oh my God, he's, I was like, he just hit it like, he had like a 40 foot putt and I was convinced it was going to come up 20 feet short. And just kept like it, going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't even think it was much of a downhill and it just didn't stop and it went six feet by. Do you know and what I kind of like, grass, Whoa. do you know what kind of grass is the most typical grass in the Pacific Northwest? Because I think that because of our climate, it becomes difficult to get greens really rolling. Well, it's Does POA mean- is known on the West Coast and I don't know if they've got POA at royal oaks or i think bent maybe too i feel like bent gets really fast but yeah um, bent can get really i know the poen especially on like the in the monterey area they always get super annoyed or in the bay area you know when they go play the biggest knock i think is the greens well next week let's go next let's do this again next week i'll be i'm i'm headed to scottsdale on friday for like six rounds of debauchery at scottsdale Mm. this weekend so i'm gonna play a bunch of courses i'm gonna see if i can get some stimp readings all right, I'm going to so I discovered in my research there was another putter that was banned before the croquet style putter. Before, and the croquet style putter to be super clear was banned for aesthetics. It was not really it was also banned because I think Sam Sneed was getting good and there were more and more players that began to switch to it. Because of course, you know, putting is really if you if you can't maintain it can't maintain your putting and you start missing short putts i mean that's what they say about hogan you know he kind of lost his ability to putt or even uh varden you yeah know, varden unravels the whole game yeah Can it begins you, to just it, it, like what, everything seems to what go what year did they did they ban sam sneed sam sneed was banned in 19 
68. 68. That's when they banned that putter. Yeah, so Jack Nicholas was already number one in the world by that time. He said at that time, to his credit, this is ridiculous. Why don't they just let us tee up the ball and play it? Can you, Blake, can you check online? Can you look and see how many wins Sam Snead had prior to 68 and then after 68? I'm curious what percentage of his wins came with that putting style and without it. Well, he didn't always, it wasn't a croquet putting always prior to 68, right? It was like a new thing he was trying. Yeah. This is what Sam Snead said at the time. So I don't think golf is the USGA's personal baby. I think they changed the rule because they didn't like the looks of me putting at the Masters. Some people got talking. They'd say, my God, look at old Sam. He's playing croquet. (laughs) I think it's my business how I stroke the ball. It hasn't been proved that the croquet way is not the best way to putt. I think if I practiced it diligently, I'd be a better putter than if I was before. How old? He was old then. He was older. If he's like, and he's like hunched over and he's I mean, he probably would have been cracking 40 by then. So, so... It was a fallacy in uh, Happy Gilmore that he was able to put like that in those tournaments. Actually, let's take a look at at, well, at you his can do the uh, you can side, do side saddle. Yeah, wait a minute. But was he straddling the line? Did has anyone ever really looked at that? I don't know. I've never heard of anybody really looking at it. But it looked very similar to what you just showed me was outlawed that Sam Snead was doing. It looks pretty close, like the style of Happy Gilmore with the hockey stick is kind of close and the question is is was he ever straddling the line that stick that hockey stick would never be allowed in play uh yes it would why would it be allowed i don't usga would like would would approve a putter that looked like a hockey stick i mean there's no chance if there's not a rule can blake can you think of a reason why a hockey stick putter would be so there is one rule. So there is actually there is a rule, but it has to do with sand wedges. You cannot have a concave club. And a hockey stick is typically concave. Mm. So as long as a hockey stick wasn't concave. Because it's curved. Because it's yeah. curved. But aren't most hockey sticks kind of have a little concaveness Even in the face? I mean, definitely if it's all. But didn't he have like a little, an additional like putter uh, face to it? I feel like they sell that that hockey stick putter yeah the hockey stick putter he's kind of got a little um you know pearl faceplate. but the whole like just one no he's side saddle there he's he's putting it kind of yeah he's not straddling the line well i going back to sneed i'm looking at it i think when he did it he was in his 50s so he was kind of past his his main thing but i guess what spurred it was he he was just doing awful and then he hit a he double hit a two-foot putt Right, and the specific rule that they made was that you can't straddle the line, so they didn't actually ban anything related to the putter. What does that mean? Although they the did line? actually do, they did, they did. Straddle the line means the ball is in between your feet. Gotcha. And you're putting like croquet style. Now they also, I think they also put in a rule that made it so that the putter could not be perpendicular. The shaft could not be perpendicular to the putter, which is where Bryson DeChambeau got in trouble mm-hmm. because it was in line. His was too, yeah, his was too close to perpendicular, 
And the rule is that it can't be perpendicular. So we've got a friend, um, Guy, who is now living in Switzerland, but he lived here and he's from France and he played here. He putt side saddle. He talks about Sam Snead all the time. And, mm-hmm. and, and Sam Snead started putting side saddle. So in other words, it's off to his side. So in other words, your two feet are here and the, and the putter is over to your right or to your left. The USGA had banned another putter that they decided was at issue. It was the Schenectady putter. Oh, yeah. What? By, yeah, what used by Walter like? Travis. Here, I've got a photo of it here. So the Schenectady putter, it had a shaft which was center sh- center. center sh- yeah, your, one of your putters, your center shafted putter, would be banned under this rule that they that they had in 1904. Show me, show me these pictures. Yeah. This, this is it. The Schenectady putter. This would be an example oh, of Oh, dude, a, yeah. My, these, um, would, these would all be illegal. My Ping Scottsdale is, is just like that. Exactly. And the reason why they're not illegal is they is they changed the rule. They got rid of that rule in 51. Yeah, lots of people use center, ma- center shafted putters. Yeah, and the reason they did it was essentially he won the British Open. The moment he won the British Open, they banned the putter. Mm. So the reality is, is a lot of the RNA and the USGA rulemaking really was in their minds about protecting the field from what they perceived as deviance from traditional golf. The Schenectady putter itself seems unbelievable that they would ban it really when you look at it though because it's such a it looks, such it looks a, like a modern like mallet putter it looks like a yeah and, it, and 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 the fact that you've got a center shafted putter is in no way an advantage and it, well in no way considered illegal now i mean you go into you know any golf store and you're gonna see every major of, yeah, every every, major. every brand has center shafted yeah and not putters. many pros you it's almost like if if it should be illegal, then wouldn't everyone be switching to it? You know, like if it was that much better than the previous concept. Right. And not everyone is switching to it. Is that somewhat proof that it, it shouldn't be banned? You know, if, if it's like not catching on, you know, what would be well, the it, advantage? Agreed. Isn't it, that the market kind of saying that it's not advantageous? Well, and, and part of the principle of the idea of golf as a game of tools is that golf is about the tool making and the engineering process to get creative and create new clubs to achieve new objectives and, 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 and play better golf. And that's been going on really since the beginning of the time. And what we see now is the rulemaking body is shifting its rules. Like the rules are not always the same, but there's a little bit of a, a dance with the manufacturers, right? In terms of you know, if we were to go into drivers at, at some point, I'd like, other thing, yeah. yeah, I'd like to bring in a couple other experts that I have on more modern technology and the driver technology, because that's a big subject of debate right now where, you know, new materials, AI, the way of industrial design has gotten to the point where they are literally taking drivers to the absolute maximum, which in my opinion, by the way, we're near the maximum. So it's like, it's sort of like the debate about distance is almost like moot. It's like, okay, well, we're there. You know, we're, we're there now. Like, are we going to get much farther? From a marketing perspective, they're going to keep saying five more yards, well, five more yards. Yeah. But at some point, the physics there's does definitely start ways. to, like the windows like getting diminishing smaller. Diminishing returns kind of yeah. each new innovation. I mean, we're yeah. pretty darn, I think, so that was one, by the way, uh, just a teaser onto that episode. That's my speculation is that we're actually similar to John Lowe when the wound ball came out and golf changed. 
the new ball and the new clubs and, and some of the new computerized technology have brought us to this new place. I'm not convinced that the equipment itself is going to make any kind of a massive jump unless, you know, maybe someone's going to come up with a flexible shaft that's mind-bendingly awesome. Yeah, or just completely makes the Dude, game look different, you know, like like the orange whip, but all of a sudden we all start playing with it, you I'll, know? I'll say this. There is some, there is, if, you're, if I'm wrong, let me know. I think there is some regulation USGA rules in terms of the length of your driver shaft. Oh, yeah. now, when you go into like long drive people, they have way longer driver shafts. The maximum length of a club is 48 inches. Adam Scott's putter is much longer than 48 inches. I don't know about that. Dude, he's like 6'2", and it goes up to his chest. Yeah, it looks like drivers, woods, hybrids, and ayers must remain less than 48 inches. 48 inches. Putters are not subject to this rule. Oh. There is no limit to length of putter. Interesting. So, so I guess they... that could that could be where the length of the putter could come in at some point. What if like you literally started putting with like a 30-foot putter? Like I don't know why you would, but... I guess there's that wouldn't be against the rule. I guess you could have tons of sponsorships on it. Like, <laughs> do you know what? If some asshole came out and started using a thirty foot putter, we don't the, curse on this podcast. Drew. <laughs> you can say you can say that on TV. All right. If some dude came out and did start using a thirty foot putter, I bet you the USGA would implement a, a putter length rule. I, it is a fine balance because yeah, you are. I think preserving the tradition of the game is really important like as corny as that sounds but like not being too like too resistant to innovation like how do you both and it's a balancing act you know and i think they probably struggled most with the driver trying to appease like the economics of the driver forced kind of the distance increase where you know probably the technology of the other clubs maybe besides the wedge hasn't quite like changed results as much. I agree with you. Cause then you're changing the nature of the sport. If you, if there's a free for all in terms of what you can do in terms of innovation, I came up with this idea like a year ago with Billy. I come from a baseball background. One of the biggest innovations in baseball technology in the past 10, 15 years is this concept of a ax handled bat. So they make these baseball bats and instead of having a traditional, you know, circular, uh, a circular handle with a base. They've changed it so that it's actually shaped like an axe handle and it's ergonomically supposed to be better for your wrists, better for your hands, and give you the ability to center contact a lot better because the thing in maple bats and wooden bats is that if you hit off center, your bat shatters. So if you actually have this point of reference where you're turning your wrist over and the bat is always in the right position, you're going to break less bats, save more money, especially if you're an amateur player. But I looked at exploring that concept for golf clubs and you cannot create under current usga rule you cannot create a iron an square. iron mm -hmm. uh an iron grip that is in the shape of an axe handle just squared off is that like you can't have anything like other squared than squared off yeah like you can't have a circle kind of you can't have anything other than a circular mm -hmm. grip well, what's interesting too is because I picked up an old club from a long time ago where they were the align grip that you're playing with now. Yeah. So the way the club pros used to do that, you know, it was called having the spine of the grip. Mm. And they used to even put um, a wire hanger at the bottom. Underneath and so it's called a ribbed grip. Yeah, I actually got mm. a, a set of ribbed grips before around the time the line came out but i decided to go like more old school and actually you can order them in fact i think one of the secrets on tour is like 
30, 40% of the guys play ribbed grips, but they stop selling them to the general public because they're harder to install. Like you have to install them perfectly. Uh, it's not illegal, but it's just an odd product. Yeah, exactly. Or... So like a ribbed grip is not hugely different from the axe, but really what they're banning is like those teacher grips, you know? Oh, so yeah, like the, the grips that like have like molds. have your thumbprints and the molds. Momentous swing grips or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like that's really what they're targeting. And I mean, I could see, I mean, I played those, the grips that were the real feels I've shown both of you guys that at that point. I mean, that just goes to show I'm, I've experienced oh, that the reserve, the reverse tapering, the reverse tapered. So that's small at the bottom and <laughs> big so at the weird. top. That sounds funny. <laughs> it was so. kind of interesting. I mean, I played them for a while. I definitely got laughed at a lot while I did, but I, it was interesting. And I, I now that's part of the reason I play the undersized. Cause I, I actually like a larger grip down, down the shaft, but like just with on the very end with the grip cap, I just like to prefer a smaller grip cap. Yeah, so, no, it makes. I've been kind of exploring that. Like I went the oversized with my Cirxon irons that I got, but I'm still like not completely sure that that's the way to go. Like because the smaller grip, you have a little bit more manipulation with the hands, which can be good and not. But. Right. Right. The one thing I was gonna say is it seems like so much innovation, especially on the putt. Like what it kind of comes down to too is should the game be easier so it reaches more amateurs so it's like less frustrating or, or something like that and i think that was the biggest argument with anchored putting or the the belly putter was like you're all of a sudden you know this is so good for the amateur golfer and i i don't know i i don't really see that as like the compass as you know how the game should be dictated like i, I think if you want to get better get better you know well no. i think it was also the players that it was generally considered like a senior way of putting, you know, yeah. it was a senior your tour. nerves are kind of like, a, yeah, a, not quite the champions good. tour. Now to... when the senior tour started, there were a bunch of guys putting that way. Maybe they kind of came from that Sam Snead era. So maybe it was more like pre Keegan Bradley and Webb Simpson. Are you saying like way, like, Oh yeah. The 90s wait, or something? Yeah. I think that at the senior level, it made a lot of sense for it to be implemented because any opportunity for a guy that's 50 or 60 or 70 years old to not have to bend over 25, 30 times in a round to line up a putt is, is probably a good thing. And we're getting into a rules discussion, obviously, and that's for a different episode. But 1966. You know, 66. The, for the belly putter. Phil Rogers wins the PGA. It was probably a controversy back then. It looks like I'm just... There's like this cool short history in the New York Times. It looks like Johnny Miller even won a tournament in 85 with the 48-inch long putter. Yeah, I remember Rocco. That's Rocco it, Rocco. Yeah, yep. Rocco. Didn't Rocco. Paul Azinger. Didn't Rocco have a long putter in the, the infamous U.S. Open battle with Tiger? He must have. There's only pictures of Tiger. <laughs> I know. That's, that's all you remember. <laughs> So check out some of these interesting putting styles. So here is Leo Deagle, 1925. This was his putting stroke. Oh. He was the original sort of belly putter, but he would do it <laughs> bent over with his elbows jutting out oh, dude, and that, trying to like completely, you know, isolate it's like the movement of the putter. I'm trying to describe it a little it's, bit. It's interesting, like the posture and the like, the setup, like pre 
1990 was so much different over the putter like jack nicholas and arnold palmer super crunched if you over. saw them like look like if you saw someone saw someone putting like that i'd be like what are you are, is your back all right like what are you doing yeah really i was taught a little bit that way with the idea of your eyes over the ball mm-hmm. you know i don't think the proper way of of teaching anymore is to do that i mean your eyes want to be somewhat over the ball but they're like what, inside like, the line now, inside the line mm-hmm. yeah you're not you're not like directly over the ball mm-hmm. which i think back then that was that was the idea early putters as we know today like rolling the ball that was often considered what was called the wooden putter and i'll bring up a little bit of that because wooden putters you would essentially they were craftsmen that were creating them and they were doing them in different styles just like that we know today the other one is called the putting clique and i want to bring that up because it's sort of a an archaic club which doesn't exist, but we still see it. Like, for example, when you go to Golf Channel, what's that infomercial that we see all the time at night? The chipper? The chipper. The square yeah. chipper? Yeah, the square chipper. The the Basically, it's – and what you would see, certainly when I was growing up, just about everybody's grandfather had one of these in the bag. And when I was learning golf, all the golf coaches said, get that out of your bag. That is not a club to use. It's essentially – well, it's illegal. You can't use it, dude. Chipper. I feel like the I feel like the golf channel has a. What do you mean it's illegal? You think those are illegal now? The clique can't be illegal. Well, I I think the clique is more like a one iron loft or a two iron loft, and the chipper is more like a. The pitching wedge loft. Yeah, forty five. And I don't think the chipper is legal. I think that the golf channel has a responsibility to the golfing community to not promote bogus golf fix stuff. Like cheapo infomercial equipment. I think it's their responsibility to keep that stuff. Off absolutely there. not. That is so much. Why the essence of what golf is about? <laughs> Why? I mean, because it is what we will spend so much money to do whatever we can to improve our golf game. I do not want. Well, you even heard me coming up. I've got some. I've got a whole list of great ideas to, to sell for forty nine. Just because you plan on scamming golfers in the future yeah. does not make not it, scamming any golfers does not make my opinion an unpopular one. I bet you a lot of people who would agree with me that like all of this equipment that, that one two things come into mind. The one that we just mentioned that square chipper thing that that is bogus. The other thing is they have this T list driver that's supposed to give you thirty more yards, and. It's all just it's all just fake. So chippers are my father-in-law's bought both. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's fake. It's just straight up fake. Fault fake I, news, man. I think man. the chipper actually is legal though. It is legal. Yeah. The only issue is you can't have a putter grip on it. Okay, you can't have a putter So remember you were telling me about your buddy that put cut down a, a hybrid with a putter grip or he something? He cut down a 3 or a 5 wood. And put a fatso grip on it. So that would be an illegal mm-hmm. club because totally. of the grip. Not because he cut it down. Gerard, but be- you listening? We got and you. It, it can't be the two-faced one or the like back and forth. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was another thing too back in the day when they used to build clubs that were two-faced. They were literally left and right-handed. It was oh, designed like ambidextrous, to be a, yeah. an ambidextrous club. Yeah. Putters left back and in right the day were, were ambidextrous. I guess technically like a bullseye putter yeah. would be in a way. Yeah, so what what is up with that? I but I think you're right on like I think it's not that di- I think the only difference between a chipper and a clique is that the clique, I believe, and this is like my research today, mm-hmm. is more like the loft of a one iron or two iron. Whereas the chipper is a higher loft. But I think the concept's the same that like you're the clique 
was used on greens with much higher. Billy, <laughs> exactly. Let me let me read from this. What you you could use a chipper, man. You I could. could you oh could my god. Really use a chipper. We're gonna get to. <laughs> we gotta. Yeah, we gotta work on the lag and the the angle. Oh my god. I am. I I I'm I'm about to. Yeah, I'll buy anything for forty nine ninety nine. <laughs> yeah. Tell my chipping right now. Looks like Odyssey's got a chipper. So here, let me read. Let me read from it's John Lowe because he's talking about in nineteen oh three. The real change now is the wound ball, and the wound ball from the gutty is making probably is the end of the clique because historically the gutty really probably didn't roll as well, and getting it in the air was probably essential for longer putts. And when we play in the in the one club, we're basically putting the equivalent of like a clique. You know, the ball slides right. the first like. 10 feet yeah exactly. it's not it's not it's rolling not like hitting a five yeah. iron on the yeah ground. yeah we're using a five iron so here's what he says where the greens are true and solid and the lies good i have no doubt that the putter is both for scientific and artistic reasons the better pool tool and he means the wooden putter there like the putter that we know today on flat but untrue greens where cuppy lies abound the clique will probably be found more serviceable when a ball is struck with a putter, it is influenced throughout the course of the hole by the nature of the ground, and a nice calculation is necessary of slope and pace of green. It is, the, it is essential, therefore, that the green be true in order that the nice computation of the player may turn out to be correct. True greens. What do we all say when we when the like you start trading putts? You're like, oh, these greens are true, you know. Mm-hmm. This guy's writing at a time where where course um, course management was not an easy thing to do. The equipment that we had was was way was light years behind where we are now. You oh yeah, you couldn't make smooth. Well, and and like like steel shafts were illegal. I mean, hickory was the only allowed shaft until yeah. 1914. Oh, I so, know that. with the clique, on the other hand, the ball is in a manner forced upon the hole with a sort of skidding motion. Look at that, just like what we said, and seems controlled by means of the loft of the club right up to the hole. If the ball lie cut, if the ball lie cupped, and the putter be used to straight face, it will cause the ball to jump in the air. Oh, you know what's interesting there? I think he's talking about your ball like in a mark. That was before you could, like that just came. I don't know if they hit it high enough. Yeah, I don't know if they hit it high enough, but could you actually pull your ball? Out? I guess an embedded ball rule existed at that time on the green, but if your lie is cupped, yeah, I don't know. but t- that could even just be like a little mark. Yeah, it doesn't have mark. to be a full It's not like ball, a full yeah. mark. Yeah, it's not an embedded ball. I mean, it could, but that's interesting too to think about that. Um, if the ball lie cupped and the putter be used, the straight face will cause the ball to jump in the air. And so... Both strength and direction will be sacrificed, but with the clique, the ball will be lofted out of the cup and will run the rest of its course with the advantage of a good start. The great increase of inland golf courses was the cause of the popularization of the clique, especially among professionals who had to play matches on these greens and found it difficult to return to the putter on revisiting their native shore courses. Oh, that's interesting. So the pros started to get good with the clique and couldn't go back to the putter. Remember at Bandon last year 
in our Oregon Coast Cup, the the first day was such horrendous weather that I started putting with the three wood because there's so much standing water on the green. Oh, I right. I remember that, but I was like literally, you had to like yeah. judge so much, but you had to play this. It was a little bit different because you're literally playing through the standing water and you're not going to walk off banded. So you just keep playing. For this time in this era that, that John Lowe's writing in, it, it makes sense because the conditions of greens would have been six on a stem. Right. I don't even know. Like six was a is like a public course in 1980, and even right now, so worse. <laughs> so but like, worse. I think the only thing is like I think the green speed is not just a is not just synonymous with like a good course. Even like even when you go play Bandon or a Lynx course, you're like, whoa, these greens are like really slow, like compared to sure. Um, I don't know, like a a country club course, because and obviously like you don't want it super shaggy, but. I think there is a virtue in slower greens and like today's game, a green at like between six and eight, you know, in Lynx golf, you can't get the greens that because of the wind, because of the undulation. Mm -hmm. So like, I think now you almost expect in American golf that like, if you don't have tens or 12 greens, like you're at a, on like a not well-maintained course, but I don't think that's necessarily the case either. I think green speed is a lot like baseball in that when you were in high school, if you played high school baseball, you got really used to seeing pitchers throw 70 to 80 miles an hour. And the jump that you took from playing in middle school to high school, it took you time to like adjust to that, that change in the velocity. New speed. And then when you go to college and you play and you're seeing guys that are throwing typically between like 80 and 90 miles an hour, it takes, there's, there's a learning curve to adjust from that, from that 70 to 80 miles to that. 80 to 90 miles an hour. And then likewise, when you go to the pros, there's also another, there's also another hurdle to overcome. But when you're in the pros and all of a sudden somebody takes a knuckleballer off of the bench that's throwing 59 miles an hour, it really throws people off. I think that that's kind of what you encounter when you're a golfer. So if you're typically used to playing in on, on greens that are rolling 10 to 12 and you actually then turn up to a course that's rolling at five, like good luck. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. Like, I think the only difference would be like the the pitching speed is obviously like the higher you get up, the higher test of skill. Whereas I think there is an argument that the faster the green speed, the less skill you're actually being tested. So that's a that's a really interesting point, point that I've always wondered about when I watch the PGA Tour. We know that the television does not properly pick up the slope and the undulation of the green. So like when we watch like the Masters, yeah. yeah, we don't see the slope. We know that there's a lot of slope on those greens. At the same time, like if if Emo was ever running a twelve, it would be unputtable. Yeah, impossible. I mean, it would be unputtable. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there would be some greens that would be okay, but many of them would become unputtable. Well, it's because that yeah. course was built at a time where the stimp was probably in that you know low single. Yeah, I mean, the twelfth hole is. From top to bottom, it's probably almost yeah, six feet or eight feet. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like, I mean, right now you can't. Oh, barely... you're talking about the par three? Yeah, the par three. Yeah, that. that, that I mean, if you're insane. standing at the bottom, it's probably it's it's an it's an elevation difference of six feet from the front of the back to the front of the back of the green. I mean, it's it's yeah. serious. And the closest that I've come to playing a PGA Tour event is Columbia Edgewater. And I putt lights out every time I mm -hmm. putted there. I mean, I put it online. Just, 
just unbelievably putted so well. Dude, I, I played at uh, TPC Scottsdale and I felt the same way. Yeah, just lights out. It was just like, what is going on? Yeah. Everything seemed makeable. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden, yeah, those 12 to 15 footers are trustworthy. Like, yeah, it's going to roll. True. They roll true. Roll. Yeah. yeah, they roll true. Mm. Well, uh, and even how the green speeds influence like uh, the size of the putter. Like, I feel like now you can't use you know the calamity jane style because i think it's it doesn't add to the stability of like the spider you know the the tailor-made spider putter which is like made for fast greens but like you know aesthetically it looks awful i think you know compared to the calamity jane which looks like you know it's like a 67 corvette compared to like a you know a modern 2020 ford explorer you know it's just like there's no comparison between the lines but Obviously, if you're going through the snow or whatever, you're gonna take. I the think they call it more like a, a a Lambo or Ferrari or something. Yeah, know? it's like it's bulky though. I mean, maybe like a modern Scotty would be the Lambo, you know, and then the Calamity Jane. I don't even know, but some of those classic cars back in the twenties. The Spider was a really innovative putter. I mean, I play the saber tooth. Which is a ridiculously <laughs> like looking putter. Well, in the Spider a, is definitely the, the putter of the 2010s. Like, that's, yeah, it definitely. That's was. what yeah. people are gonna. Remember. Hey, here's another one that's really scammy that they that they constantly advertise, and it's really timely that this discussion that they constantly advertise on the Golf Channel, and it's that new like S7 standalone putter. John Smoltz in uh, in the pro am in the on the LPGA he, was playing tour, it? he plays that. He plays that club. He, he, was, he was on TV walking away from the putt, reading the line while the putter's sitting there standing behind the ball. <laughs> yeah, any infomercial or something like that on the golf, that's automatic flag for me that totally. I don't want the club. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I absolutely. am almost blown away that John Smoltz is playing that club. He's a, he's a scratch he's, player. He's a player. Mm-hmm. He's a player, yeah. He's well, a he's player. He's retired. He needs some money. Mm-hmm. Back, if you were to go back 34 years ago, it wouldn't be that unusual, first of all, for all of us to have a workbench to fix our clubs and throw lead tape on them and start sure, just grinding great. on them and, you know, fixing the grips ourselves, that sort of thing. Sure. I would enjoy but it. But even making putters, like welding them together yeah. and building. Let me actually read something else from John Lowe on that point. So I think what he's talking a little about here is how to negotiate as well to get a club maker to make you a really fine putter without having to throw, you know, a bag of gold on the table. Without walking into Got a it. shop and yeah. being like, I want He's you like, to commission something. Yeah. yeah. If a half-empty pipe lies beside him, offer him a cigar. Mention that you are afraid that it is not as good as you would have wished, being that it was the last of the box. At the same time, giving him to understand that another box is expected later that evening. The cigar, <laughs> having been accepted and lighted... You may, in the course of conversation, allude to a very fine putter made by a rival club maker, which you will, which you will tell your friend is being much talked about and copied. This will almost certainly uh, be a winning card to play, for there is much jealousy among the profession, and as likely as not, the remark will be made that so-and-so, naming the rival maker, has about as much idea of fashioning a putter as he has of successfully solving the problem of aerial navigation. Do not, apparently aerial navigation was a big problem in 1903. I mean, airplanes? Were there any airplanes in 1903? Isn't that like pre-airplane? That's basically pre-airplane. So he's like, 
to fly, basically. So when he's saying, you know, uh, they can as likely make a good putter as they could fly. Do not press the matter to a conclusion, but meet your man again in a similar manner, this time carelessly holding in your hand the club which you have long felt was the cause of the success of some distinguished player. Almost seem to hide it from the club maker, and he will be sure to ask to see it and probably volunteer to make you one on the very same lines with slight improvements of his own. In time, you will get your putter, and it will probably be a very good one. In any case, it will be good enough to resell if it doesn't suit you, which is always a really good point to be considered. So he's basically saying <laughs> how to get a good club. And then if it isn't that good, you know, put it on the equivalent of like the St. Andrews eBay and go get another one. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, it's it's I find like that part of the golf. We've lost that a little bit, although what we've gained could go in and choose literally 75 different putters that are at, you know, the local golf shop to go. I don't know if we've lost the artisan. The artisan has certainly been scaled and automated. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. Well, and there's also some people that are making these putters again, like that are getting back into it, just like you're interested Mm -hmm. in, in the, in the blades Mm -hmm. and the persimmons. You're playing it because it feels cool and it looks cool. Yeah, I mean, you, there's a different value that you're, that you're going for. There is this, and not to, I guess, give them a free sponsorship, but Louisville Golf is a cool company that is making persimmons and hickory stick clubs. Like the baseball bat Yeah, company? like the baseball bat? I think it's like, I don't know if they're related, Spin-off? but um, Louisville Golf, like, I think they made the Calamity Jane, I believe, um, or, or at least they're making a modern one. Oh, no way. You know where highly customizable, small batch, artisanal golf club manufacturing is still alive and well japan japan yeah japan yeah i mean there's something in like i don't know intriguing about like the kind of solo guy instead of like yeah scotty cameron is still like artisan but yeah he's scaled it and automated which loses some of the touch you totally. know and i think the loss of precision is like and still charges uh you know artisan prices yeah no definitely <laughs> um but i think yeah the loss of the precision I mean, it's like almost like who cares? Like golfers, most are so bad anyway. <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, is the precision really helping as much as like all these hickory stick societies and there's more persimmon woods is like the joy of playing, you know, and, and even like just kind of the the concept of play rather than like dialing it in like a scientist, you know, is, is I think not necessarily where I at least get the most Drew, have um, you ever hit a hickory stick? Yeah, you know, fun. Man. No, I almost bought one a little while ago because if you you know it's really cool. I have one at home. I can. You don't have a left-handed one. So oh, you're right. You go to a. By the way, they never they they only started making left-handed clubs in the '70s. I heard. Don't oh, come on, man. So so here's one of my hobbies, though. The Pacific Northwest has tons of Goodwill stores. And I like to pop into Goodwill stores because if you go to the sports section, yeah, there's always clubs. persimmons sitting on the sitting on the shelves, $8. and they're for like two dollars, mm. three dollars, eight dollars, something like that. And I'm looking for, and if I've found lots of left-handed persimmons in those in those, but I'm waiting to find a McGregor or something that's like a notable club maker mm. that just found its way into a Goodwill that I can buy for a few bucks and haven't polished. Yeah, I've been to touch with the Northwest Hickory Stick guys. They mentioned to me when I talked about a persimmon and blades tournament, they said, just go to the Goodwill. 
Because mm-hmm. apparently they get tons of clubs and yeah. apparently they just trash them. Yeah, because they gra- don't keep them. You know what happens? Grandpa dies and he had a he had a garage full of old golf clubs. Right. Yeah. And like a and like two barrels full of golf balls. Yeah, and yeah you gotta have the real collector's editions for them to have like I bought those ping I twos for twenty bucks, you know, and you said they're six ninety nine, six hundred ninety nine dollars in nineteen seventy or whatever. Right. But to wrap things up, Adam Scott's a cheater and he knows he's a cheater. <laughs> <laughs> so so I absolutely am a huge Adam Scott fan. So in terms of aesthetics, there is no golfer out there. That said, represents the game better as a poster of the PGA Tour than Adam Scott. So I'm about the same age as Tiger, but Adam Scott has got to be a few years younger there, but not much, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's Adam, a few, younger. Yeah. he's like he's probably like 40. 39 or forty, mm-hmm. right? So Adam Scott really brought to the PGA Tour the sort of the young guns that were post tiger, but he was dating actresses and going out on speedboats and just, he lived a good life. And for all of those reasons, I think I give him a complete pass on however he wants to putt. And it seems like a class guy, you know, and he's just an awful putter. So like, I mean, he won the masters. Just trying to find He didn't win the masters with a long putter, did he? Or did did he? Yeah, it's kind of. He beat Angel Cabrera with Mm -hmm. a long putter. Steve Williams, greatest major. He's still got probably one of the coolest swings in golf oh no doubt he's got the sweetest swing in golf or one he just of copied tiger that was the thing wasn't it you know, well all of everybody has essentially tiger. And, and tiger in a sense you know obviously took, yeah. took some cues from others if you want to talk about cheating we are going to talk about the rules in a in once we get to the next hole which is hole number six so golf is a game of rules is in my opinion really a, a real cornerstone episode we're going to cover Golf is a game of tools in a few different episodes. I'm also going to release the episode that I think you've heard already as a beta listener. That is What's Wrong With My Driver, which is a fan (laughs) favorite, although a lot of the fans out there have not heard this because I only baited it. And it is about, in the spirit of Golf is a Game of Tools, it's a great episode, right? Because it's about about Drew's attempt to go back into the artistry and artisanship (laughs) of driver making Mm -hmm. and use uh, (laughs) eBay and doing a lot of like breaking drivers at the driving range and trading things around and creating a Frankenstein monster. (laughs) Get ready. So is there anything else we want to add in here at the end? No, thanks for coming, Blake. We're going to have to have you come in some more, I think. This is pretty cool. Yeah, no, I've enjoyed it. Golf is 18 little games, 18 fresh starts, 18 opportunities to shake off the failures of the past and embrace the good fortune of the present.